Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not A Genre. This is audio, season four, episode 25. It is also the 26th video episode of my Music Is Everything subset, wherein I take a musical idea, thought, opinion, fact, concept, and uh, weave it, unweave it, tie it to political and social ideas. Thank you as always for watching and listening. And don't forget you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. The family is growing there. I'd really love for you to be a part of it for as little as $5 a month. Or you can go to the audio portal at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre and listen there and donate there. And as always, my Public Hub is youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo, where you can see just about everything I do. And please take a moment to subscribe and ding that bell so you get notices every time I upload a new video, which is at least once a week. So let's get into the topic this week. Uh, This sort of uh, was something that I've been sitting on for a while, but then also kind of popped up recently into my head. And uh, you'll hopefully see why. The title is... Can good production save bad music? Fleshing out the framework effect. And if you've seen or heard this version of the Music Is Not A Genre podcast called Music Is Everything, you know that I start by reading something uh, verbatim that I've written and then I discuss it afterwards. So here we go. There's a sort of old saying, you can't put lipstick on a pig, meaning dressing something up doesn't change its inherent nature. Let's sort this out for real. First time betting, you actually can put lipstick on a pig. It might take sedation or some form of restraint, but it can be done. Second, has anyone ever asked the pig if it even wants lipstick? I have a feeling it's totally fine being what it is. Third, and pretty crucial, does the lipstick's ineffectiveness mean the pig itself is not worthy? Finally, and most relevant to this podcast, is this even true? If you put enough lipstick in enough areas, can you change the impression the pig makes enough to render its inherent nature virtually irrelevant? Okay, and fifth, what does this have to do with music? When you listen to a song, all that really matters is how it makes you feel. Do you like it? Does it evoke the emotion you want it to? Will you want to listen to it again? When it comes to gut level reactions, All the steps the song went through to get to its finished state are immaterial. If you think a song is good, it's good. If you don't care for it, it's not. This is why it's not just hard, but futile to try to judge the quality of any kind of art. But we do. The curious, those of us who take music seriously, do. 
We're not satisfied with first impressions. We know instinctively, and often from a direct experience, that we'll find as many people who agree as disagree with our opinion of a song. If consensus says a song is trash, there are likely millions of people who think it's great. If the accepted wisdom is that a song is genius, there are millions of people who are indifferent to or flat out hate it. This is what makes the process of creating music magical, even illusory. That general impression, trash or genius, is shaped by more factors than most of us are aware of. When we absorb a song, we tend to gravitate towards the big three, lyrics, music, performance. But it doesn't stop there. There's the arrangement and instrumentation. Does it have guitar, drums, keys, backing vocals, etc.? The recording quality and aesthetic, lo-fi or hi-fi, crisp or warm, the riffs and hooks, melodic lines or power chords or anything else not fundamental to the original written song, and the style itself. Strictly one genre, a mix of sounds, consistent and comfortingly predictable, all over the place and excitingly experimental. All of those are part of the music production process. I've stated often that if a song is good, then it can be played and recorded in just about any way and still be good. It's why I like to do song covers that are different from the originals. But what if a song isn't good? What if when you get down to the basics of the song, music and lyrics, there's not much there? Or what is there is kind of not great. Can all that production work save that song? Can good production turn a clunky, threadbare, or otherwise poorly conceived song into a gem? Yes. Yes, it can. It has done so thousands of times. I don't often point blank answer the questions I pose. Most of the time, they're red herrings put up as entrees into a wider discussion. And sure, that discussion is happening here, too. But this time around, I can say unequivocally that good production innovative and intuitive use of all those elements above can create the near universal impression that a bad song is a great song. It can even cause you to question what the nature of a well-written song really is. Now, there have been just as many instances where the best of production intentions couldn't make a cozy hearth out of a dumpster fire. Production is not the be-all, end-all. But the cleverest producers, arrangers, the true geniuses, have given clear purpose and massive substance to songs that started out with neither. It's when purpose and substance go hand in hand that the best results are achieved. Substance without purpose is meandering and self-serving. Purpose without substance is artificial and often makes a hollowness, masks a hollowness at the core. When you have both, then a flimsy song a song that might even be ridiculed in its purest state, means more and moves more people. In short, great production can make a bad song good. A quick note about the vice versa here, because not much needs to be said. Bad production has ruined way more good songs than good production has saved bad ones. And while bad production, quote unquote, is also in the ear of the beholder, and oftentimes what was once considered bad becomes fresh and innovative, whether on purpose or purely by accident, on the whole, poorly conceived and executed production will sink a song. A solid and understandable framework matters. It matters well beyond music, too. There have been plenty of world-changing ideas that in their original concept sounded ridiculous to a lot of people. In fact, 
As a wise companion of mine said, it's probable that all world-changing ideas began not fully formed and outrageous to most people. It took perseverance, the willingness to shape and reshape, more clearly define and redefine, and the development of a strong and accessible framework for those ideas to take root and succeed. Abolition of slavery, voting rights for women, affirmative action, gay marriage, defund the police, these and thousands of others began as wild propositions that had to be formed and framed and sold to convince enough people that they were the only acceptable future. And just like with music, the converse idea doesn't need much discussion. So many great ideas for social and political change have died painful deaths because they were communicated and executed exceedingly poorly or co-opted by producers who didn't understand or care about the true purpose. We've seen this time and again and are living through it now. It's heartbreaking to watch ideas you believe in so strongly get shot down because the organizers and communicators didn't understand how to frame it and connect it with the majority. All this is to say that delivery matters. Delivery can add value and substance to the thinnest of ideas. Follow through makes a huge difference. If you care about something, no matter how runty and unformed, then figuring out how to make others care about it too should be just as important. Frame it so everyone else gets it. Make the truth and passion shine through. You know, I try to end these on an uplift. And this one, uh, it's cheesy, sure. This one was hard in a way. And I think you'll see why as we get more into the discussion here. But this connects actually to several other uh, podcast episodes I've done. I think um, most directly to the four-part illusion in music series that I did because for part of that, one of the episodes at least, I talked about how production and, and production values can make a song sound very different from how it was conceived, can create an impression that you might not think would happen if you listened to just the, you know, or read or whatever, the original music and lyrics, let's say somebody played it on an acoustic guitar, but then you hear the finished product. And that is somewhat of an illusion, somewhat of a magic trick, because, you know, this has happened, you, let's say this, it's happened with books turned into films and television shows uh, where the person who took that original material wanted to create something kind of different out of it. And if you don't know the original, the source material, then you might not know that it is wildly different and yet taps into the original nature and purpose and, uh, you know, and substance of what was originally there which I think is one of the crucial things here. You know, um, I, I wasn't sure, honestly, if I had an answer to the question posed in the title here, can bad production save, uh, can good, sorry, can good production save bad music? I, I said bad production because that's a line in the Beatles come together and it's been stuck in my head as I've been editing this. Either good production, bad production. Okay. Um, but the reason why I didn't have an answer is because I think that, like I said, there are times when it doesn't work. 
Let's take the perfect example. Let's take later on when I was talking about kind of the political and social issues and how uh, there are quote unquote producers who co-opt ideas and run them into the ground. They don't understand the essence of the idea. They don't know how to flesh it out in a way that is organic, that connects with people, or they have ulterior motives like using this movement to make money or to self-aggrandize, you know. And, I, and you know, I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get to the political stuff. But as far as music goes, there have been plenty of heavy-handed producers who were trying to do something unique or different with music that didn't connect with the original music, that obscured it, or or just somehow ruined the original purpose. And, you know, I can, I, I am not, I'll be honest, I'm never that great at thinking of examples on the spot. And for me, a lot of this is setting forth some ideas and a discussion that will hopefully be filled in in part by what I say, but in part by what you contribute. So there may be some uh, song or album in your head, or let's say you know a band that switched producers for their next album, and that producer just didn't understand the band and just destroyed you know, what would have been otherwise a good album, let's say. And of course, on the other hand, a producer who took a band's material that initially might not be that impressive and, you know, um, made it amazing. And right now I'll give you an example of each. So when the clash was breaking up and Mick Jones left, Joe Strummer continued on with one more album. And that album has been kind of, universally panned. I will say that when I listened to it, I I got two impressions. One was there's actually really good material there. And the way it was performed is by Joe Strummer, at least was totally as good as anything else that the clash have done. But the producer whose name escapes me wanted to make almost a Am I, am I getting the Trevors mixed up, Trevor Horn? Uh, I always get them mixed up with Trevor Rabin, but wanted to kind of give it that, that electronic, busy production punch where horns come in out of nowhere and you have electronic drums mixed with, you know, uh, organic drums and organic instruments. And listen, that's worked so well, so well for so much music. But it had nothing to do with the music that Joe Strummer and The Clash were creating. And so this producer, to my mind, took this job as an opportunity to co-opt the music and do whatever he wanted with it at the expense of the music itself. So that's an example of how bad production can ruin good music. And I know there are better examples out there and I want you hopefully to kind of give them here to me. Uh, Now, I mean, this is a, I mean, talk about an example of how good production can turn. I won't say bad music because I don't think any of their music was bad, but music that initially was not impressive to the people who heard it. And that's one major point here is that because it's a judgment in the ear of the beholder, some music that is initially considered bad that ends up, you know, being rejudged 
was so because that first impression just didn't really hit people in the right way. And that is the Beatles. Their original material uh, has always been very strong and of course got stronger as the years went on. And, and, you know, we all have our favorite periods. But when they were writing in their late teens, early 20s, they were still figuring it out. And it took a producer who understood the music and who understood the strengths and what to do with it and where to go with it to turn that music that in other hands could have been eh, just some okay, you know, British rock and roll into the next wave and and into what would become, you know, legendary music. And of course, that's George Martin. And there are plenty of stories surrounding that first album and those first singles and how he you know, took the song Love Me Do, which was a very slow song to begin with and said, let's speed it up. And these are, these are you know, those kind of ideas that producer ha- producers have that take that original concept and add things to it that really have nothing to do with the music and lyrics as far as conception, but as far as delivery and framework and kind of fleshing it out and, 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 and finding the true nature of the song and it's, you know, at its most dynamic essence, that's where good production comes in. And so as I was writing this out, it, it dawned on me that it isn't about whether, you know, strong production does it all the time. You know, it isn't about whether strong production can cre- create good music out of bad or better music out of good or, or legendary music out of, out of great or any of that. It, it's not that it does it all the time. It's that can it do it at all? And the answer is yes. And does it do it more often than not? Oh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't crunched numbers. Somebody out there, again, donations, please. If you fund this podcast, I'll be able to do an extensive study on what's the percentage that good production has saved, quote unquote, bad music over bad production ruining good music. And I think part of the reason why it's hard to answer that is because so much of the music that has suffered from bad production, we've never heard. Because it's either never been released or it released and flopped and it isn't on any of the streaming services or we don't have copies of it anywhere. It's very hard to find. You can probably look up uh, releases from uh, bands, you know, their first releases or EPs or things that were not uh, the album that catapulted them and listen and say, oh, that's actually, you know, in hindsight, sure, I see where they were going, but they weren't there yet. And part of that might be, you know, again, the material, but a lot of that might be the production that they didn't, you know, kind of uh, link up with a a producer who understood them well enough. And this has always fascinated me in part because I am a producer. And even though my origin story is singer-songwriter, my my superhero persona, let's say, is producer. You know, the costume I wear over the powers that I have is that is that producer. It's why I wore this button-down shirt for this very serious talk, because I wanted to create the impression that this is a serious subject. And if I had just worn my t-shirt or my sweater or whatever, you you might not you might not think so. Why framework matters? Ha! Huh? Why do I have this in front of me? Those of you who are just listening are missing out on just a great backdrop. I mean, you you can't go wrong with the uh, amp version of a portable speaker system and a colorful hat 
from uh, the Mummers Parade, which if you're from Philadelphia, you'll know what that means. I have no idea why these two things go together, but I said, yeah, this works. And, uh, you know, that's that producer, genius. I'm also talking, I'm continuing to talk over the fact that my dog is off camera here making a, a, a washing machine sound with her uh, drinking her water. She's the sweetie. And so I have a vested interest in fleshing out this idea of what good production can do. And, and I'll give you a kind of a personal example. I'm annotating lyrics right now so that they will show up on the streaming services and online, Google, etc. because I love lyrics and, um, you know, I, I want people to know the lyrics that I write because I, you know, respect my lyrics and I'm proud of them. And I think that they uh, give insight into a song, you know, as you're reading, let's say, that you wouldn't get if you were just trying to figure them out and listening. And, I, and honestly, both approaches are awesome. So I just recently did the lyrics to a song of mine from my band Rex album, Distance to Empty, called Love in Stockholm, which I will put at the end of this uh, because I'm doing that now and, and uh, literally just thought, duh, that's the one I'm going to put on here because I want you to see how the original concept of that song has very, very little melody, very little more than uh, repeated rhythm and repeated lyrics, just incessantly repeated lyrics. Uh, I think the concept holds up, you know, uh, whether it's poetically or just, you know, ideology or, or whatever, and, the, and that mindset of, of love being a Stockholm syndrome. But it wouldn't have become the song that it became if I hadn't conceived with uh, the help of Daniel Cousins of uh, Albatross Heights, of the production that I ended up giving it. And please stay tuned for the end of this podcast, or if you're tired of hearing me talk and you just want to get to the music, yeah, then go ahead to the end, uh, maybe three minutes before the end or so, two, uh, three, three and a half, and listen to Love in Stockholm. And But before you do that, look up the lyrics and see if it ends up being what you thought it was, because then you'll see the magic that production can, can provide to an original concept. And one that I will say, as a singer-songwriter, that was a very non-traditional song. And that kind of brings up an idea that I threw in there last minute that I didn't flesh out because that dang essay was long enough. And that is that I'm scrolling here on my iPad, saving paper, you saw it at the beginning because I wasn't holding it, I was holding it in frame, as we say in the business. And that is that good production can often make you question what it even, what a, what, you know, a good song even is, what a, what a well-written song even is. I mean, you know, we're going, we go through that periodically, uh, historically in the music world where music will shift in a way that the traditionalists will not enjoy. So a perfect example is hip hop where, you know, the traditionalists would say, and, and who there are people I've known who've said this more recently even, that hip hop is not actual music because, I'm talking about original hip hop, like very early, you know, early, early hip hop, because it doesn't have a melody and a song needs a melody. Now, I understand that, right? I don't agree with it, but I can see how a strict traditionalist might say, 
well, where's the, you know, all this is, is lyrics, 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 lyrics. Some of these don't even have, uh, you know, hooks or, or choruses. And then where's the melody as well, you know? So what hip hop did was made us rethink what a good song is. Because as we now know, hopefully, unless you, you know, are still in your cave, uh, there's as much good hip hop as there is good any other kind of music. And a lot of that does not adhere to strictly traditional modes of songwriting. And that has to do with the delivery. It has to do with the mode and the style too, but it has to do with the production, with the way those songs were put across. And that's why I put love in Stockholm here at the end, because, yeah, okay, there's sort of, you can call it a chorus. You can, you can say there's a little bit of a melody in there, but it is just not, uh, you know, it doesn't have verses per se. It just has the same, you know, lyrics repeated over and over, which can happen. Third verse, same as the first. I'm Henry VIII, I am. You know, lyrics do get repeated, but it's not... When I write certain songs, I think of, well, I'm telling a story. So verse one sets for, you know, kind of connects right to the listener and verse two fleshes out more ideas. And if there's a third verse, it kind of brings it around to some boom, you know, like this is what it all means. And the chorus is the kind of essence of the whole thing. You know, one way to think of how to write a traditional song, the lyrics of a traditional song, that's not what the lyrics to Love in Stockholm does. And if you are the type of producer or songwriter who starts with the production, who starts with what in the hip hop world is called beats, which is a pattern, some kind of loops and samples or original material with a beat behind it or maybe the, the barest hint of a beat that is repeated so that the, the, the MC, the rapper, can lay lyrics on top of it, whether pre-written or improvised there on the spot both of which resulted in amazing, amazing music. And that idea is that there are plenty of times where a great song is created by starting with the production, by starting with the backing tracks or a concept of how it should sound, and then the substance is kind of poured into it. So that's another example of how good production can just reinvent and create uh, you know, a song and reinvent you know, music in a certain way. But kind of getting back to the idea of what if, you know, that music is considered bad. I've, re I've worked with songwriters who didn't have any musical ability. All they did was write lyrics and have kind of a general idea of how they wanted it to sound. And it was my job to flesh out that music in a way that created a song that works. And without production, you know, arrangements and sounds and all the things that I listed before, it would just be words on a page. Or, you know, like I said, uh, substance without purpose. Those lyricists really love the lyrics that they wrote. And I respect that enough to want to do something with it that brings the, the idea of those lyrics out through the music, you know. But at the same time, you think of, I'm going straight through, let's say, dance music, where if you don't have a very solid purpose, uh, you know, I'm sorry, if you don't have solid substance, then if your only purpose is to create a danceable song, it can end up being very, you know, repetitive and fall flat. And you don't know, it can also be amazing because you don't need a whole hell of a lot in that kind of music to start with to end up with an amazing song. But let's say I had written down here Fat Boy Slim's right here, right now. 
Um, it, that's almost all it says. You know, there's a little bit more in there. But how are you going to look at that on a page and say, that's an amazing song? If you just saw the lyrics or if you had an annotation of the, of the, of the melody or whatever melody there might be in there or the rhythm of the words, you're not going to. You're going to look at it and say, I don't know, what is this? You know, um, a chant or a, some sort of poem. Then you listen to the song and how Fatboy Slim produced it and everything becomes not only clear, but awesome. So, you know, another great example. Pivoting very sharply to, you know, social and political issues. I listed a bunch of things and I wasn't going to put these in, but I thought that having some, again, substance made a difference. Because here are ideas, uh, you know, abolition of slavery had been around for a very long time before it took hold. And yeah, taking hold is relative because, you know, you had Reconstruction, which was shut down, blah, 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 and it took another hundred years. And even then, you know, we're still struggling, let's just say, uh, mightily. But the fact that slavery ended in the, you know, at least officially in the way that it did, wouldn't have happened unless that germ of an idea, which, uh, you know, was not a bad idea, I'm not saying that, but it might have been initially said in a way that because of the climate and the culture at the time was considered outrageous by most people, or if not, there might have been people who agreed with it, but thought, well, that's never going to happen. So it had to be, it had to be packaged and, and sold and framed and produced in a way that it would convince enough people that it was the right idea. And like I said, the, you know, uh, inevitable future, I believe. What, what did I say? The only acceptable future. And, uh, voting rights for women was around for a long time. Affirmative action was the result of decades of strides in civil rights that themselves took decades to come about. And sometimes it is timing. Sometimes it's, well, what else can we do? We've come to a place in the culture where if we don't do this, the whole thing's going to collapse. And it's just, it's ridiculous that it hasn't happened already. But part of that has to do with taking uh, a passion, an original passion of, you know, everyone should have equal rights, but not knowing how to get it across. What is the what is the way that has to be, you know, said and, and couched and framed and all of that stuff to really get it to where people who either totally disagree or more likely people who are on the fence and didn't think that it was viable will finally start seeing that it's viable. Uh, gay marriage is one of those. I mean, how long, you know, through the AIDS crisis and certainly long, long before then, but especially when LGBTQ and, and all started to kind of become more public and more outspoken, demanding more rights and, and an end to persecution and things like that, that, that the idea of being, you know, able to get married legally had been around for just as long. But it took, you know, a certain way of framing it and a certain way of, you know, couching it that it would allow that to, you know, be uh, accepted by enough people and by the, even the Supreme Court itself. And then we have that last one, the hot button issue here, defund the police, which hasn't reached there yet. And what I wanna say about that is, this is a perfect example of how delivery matters. The original concept, 
which, by the way, is one I agree with, is, you know, was not phrased in a way that was palatable to enough people to get past the phrase itself. And what I mean by that is, let me give you this idea. What if I said that a company whose main purpose was, uh, I don't know, making chairs was also got into the business of, uh, you know, growing the trees and, and selling those chairs and writing the, the jingle themselves and creating the commercial themselves, their budget would be stretched super thin. Their, you know, power, their personnel power would be stretched super thin. And there may very well be people, most of the people who were hired to make chairs don't know how to do the rest of that stuff. So why not take some of the money that's being poured into into that and farm it out to companies that know how to advertise, companies that know how to, you know, horticulturists that can grow the good wood and all, you know, or, you know, musicians who can create the jingles and ad companies and all of that stuff that would allow the chair maker to focus on making the best chair possible. Makes sense, right? So the whole idea here is that for whatever reason, we have lumped all of these functions onto the police force that don't belong there. And, you know, you can say what you want about how police do their actual jobs. And that's not that's a completely different topic and one that, um, you know, I will hopefully get into at some point because I'm really passionate about that. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that they have the job of enforcing the law. Okay, does that and should that include mental health issues and social services and things that that police provide? that they don't know enough about to do well and that they often misdo because it's it's like, you know, if you're a carpenter and you, you know, have a hammer in your hand, everything is a nail. You know, if you're in the police force, everything is a crisis that is meant to be handled with force in a certain way, which again, I don't agree with, but let's just say that that's their primary purpose is to uphold, you know, peace. Uh, um, boy, this is a, is a tricky subject, but why not take some of the money that was poured into that and give it to the experts in those other fields? That sounds hopefully pretty reasonable, right? If you had a relative with mental health issues, you'd want a mental health professional to take care of that. Not a, a police officer with a gun who doesn't understand the ins and outs of that particular mental illness, et cetera, et cetera. When stated that way, it might be a little bit easier to understand than just the words defund the police, because that sounds like let's just get let's take all the money away from all the police, you know, forever and ever. And I'm sure there are people who believe that, too. And, you know, again, I have my opinions on that. But. Who's gonna want, you know, even the people who agree that the, the, the police, you know, policing has gotten out of hand in this country would listen to that and say, well, how's that ever going to fly? So I think for this idea, is it, it's in its, you know, nascent stage. It's going to take a lot of time and a, a lot of work and diligence and all the things that I kind of, you know, listed 
at, at the bottom here uh, to frame it in a way that takes that substance and gives it a clearer purpose and a clearer communication so that more people agree, you know, uh, with it. And I'll, I'll leave you, you know, right there, uh, other than the song that's coming up. And hopefully this sparks some things in you so that you'll actually comment and uh, give me some idea of where you stand with all this, whether it has to do with the political and social ideas that I talked about, or whether it has, this has to do with the music and whether or not you think that, you know, good production has actually given many of us the impression um, that that a song that started out with basically nothing is actually super great. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching and contributing. Uh, and I will talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.